Thanks for tuning in to the Hope Church Podcast. We hope that you're blessed and encouraged to walk out the gospel as you listen to this message. Are you ready to jump into what... Uh, God has given me today. Um, I want to continue on from last week um, as I have just really sensed so strongly the invitation from the Lord drawing us uh, to a life where, where he becomes the one thing, where the one thing, Jesus, becomes the main thing. Because when the main thing is the one thing and the one thing is the main thing, okay, I keep saying it. Jesus is at the top. Everything else begins to flow in your life. And I want to talk about a wholehearted devotion to him, a wholehearted communion, this wholehearted union with him where he is not compartmentalized into a few spaces in our life, but where he is actually our life where he's actually the whole thing. He's not an add-on. He's not a thing we just do on Sunday morning or Wednesday night or a a time or two during the week, but where he actually becomes our whole life. The context of last week um, and today is really centered around the question that was asked of Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? And we read this last week. I want to read it again. Jesus answered that question in Matthew 22, verse 37, and he said this, What is the greatest commandment? He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. He said, this is the great and the first commandment. In other words, from God's point of view, this is the life that he calls great. This is the life that he calls great. This, this, is, this is what God says is first. This is God's first priority for living. His first priority for life. Love me with all your heart. Love me with all your soul. Love me with all your mind. And this is what he calls success. This is success. This is what he calls greatness. And I think in a, in a society, in a culture, that is in all kinds of pursuits, right? All kinds of pursuing of of the different definitions of success and greatness. Jesus says, I want you to know this is success. This is greatness. This is what is great. Love me with everything. I say it like this. Um, I said it differently last week, but pastoring Hope Church is my assignment. Loving him with everything is my purpose. Pastoring this church is, is one of the assignments that God has given me. Um, my Being a husband is one of the assignments that God has given me. Loving him with everything is my purpose. Today, many of us will say yes out there um, and begin to serve. Those are assignments. Do you see that? Those are, those are things that God will assign you to do that, that there's great importance and great, great, um, there's a great call to the, those assignments. God has given you assignments in your life, whatever you're giving yourself to, what he's called you to. But your purpose and your greatest invitation and the greatest call of your life is to love him with all that you are. See, I, I, don't, I don't find my identity in my assignment. I find my identity in my purpose. And this, when this gets out of place and this gets misunderstood, then we get disillusioned, right? We're like, oh, I just can't find my purpose. I, I don't know what I'm on the planet for. I want to tell you why you're on the planet. Jesus said it right here, to love him with everything. You say, Josh, that's so simple. No, it's not. It is the gospel. 
It has been from the very beginning. Love me with everything you are. That is why you exist. And when you enter into that purpose and that call, every assignment will flow and will not even matter because it will be so significant what you're experiencing and the fulfillment of loving him with everything. Love me with everything. I don't find my identity in my assignment. I find my identity in my purpose. I was in the prayer room this last week, and um, I, this day I just popped in for maybe a half an hour. And I, I, I wasn't leading that set. I was just there. And I have to tell you, I just, I just walked in, and, and the Lord just touched my heart so beautifully. It was just a beautiful moment. And they were just praying, and they were singing about the pursuit of loving Jesus. And uh, felt like I just walked into the presence of the Lord. And I look around the room. There's probably, I don't know, 25 people maybe in the room all ages, young, old. But I look in the back of the room and on the floor are these young adults there on their faces before the Lord. And uh, I stood in the back kind of in between them and I just kind of was with the Lord and I look at them and all of a sudden I'm just, I just, my heart begins to just move because I feel not only their desire for him, but even more I feel his desire for them. And as they're just on their faces, um, uh, several of them have grown up in this church. They, they've been here since they were little bitty, little, little bitty kids. And there they are just worshiping. I mean, they're just going for it. They're unaware of anybody or anything else going on in that room. And they're worshiping. They got their Bible open on the floor. They got a journal. I kind of looked over and I, in the middle of worship, this, this one kind of just stopped worshiping and started writing something down. And I'm thinking, they're sitting before Jesus. They're, they're, they're literally before him in the word, the presence of God, worshiping, and he's speaking to them, and then they write it down, what, they, what he says. And it's just this beautiful thing, and I, was, I just couldn't help but think they could have been out doing a hundred other things on their summer break. But there they were at the feet of Jesus. There they were leaning in, and I was so moved, and as, as I walked out of that place, I just, tears were in my eyes because of what I was witnessing. I went over to a couple of them, and I, I looked him right in the eyes, and I said, I want you to know this is what he calls greatness. I want you to know this is what he says is success. This is success, loving him with everything, and I wanted them to know that although many might say that's foolish and a waste of time, that before him, that is what matters. That they were with him. They were in him. They were pouring out their hearts before him. And Jesus knows and he will remember. Those girls will go out of that prayer room and they're going to impact the world. They're going to do significant things. I don't believe they're just called to sit there for the rest of their lives. I believe they're called to sit before the feet of Jesus for the rest of their lives. But they'll go out and do significant things. They'll do great things. But none is greater, hear me on this church, none is greater than sitting at his feet, pouring out your heart and prayer and your worship and letting his word speak to you, ministering to the Lord. It's something we don't talk enough about. Ministering to the Lord, whether their impact seems great by the world's standards or not, the impact on their heart and the heart of God is great. What we do in the place of intimacy, in the secret place, the Lord knows and he remembers forever. Can I hear an amen? Can I give you one more thought that I've been meditating on that's connected, but it may seem a little out there from where we're heading in a few minutes. Can you connect the dots with me? You okay to connect the dots? Sometimes as a preacher, you're like, oh, that connects, that connects. And then people are like, we have no idea what you're saying. 
I hope that's not one of those days. I've never, you've never experienced this, have you? No. Pastor Gary's always connecting, flowing. Um, I've been thinking a lot uh, about something Diego touched on a couple of weeks ago when he was talking about uh, the disciples on the road to Emmaus. And, and it, his message was so great, but he said this one thing, and it, I stopped listening to him. And I felt like the Lord just took me somewhere else. Do you ever have that happen? You're like, yes, it's happening right now. <laughs> right? But it's this moment. And, and, and all of a sudden, it was, he said that he started talking. He said this one thing. And all of a sudden, my heart was like, oh. And I, I just felt the impulse of his heart as he shared this. But, um, you know, these, we know this out of Luke 24 is the story of the disciples on the road to Emmaus. And, and they're walking and they're talking about all that had just happened with the crucifixion of Jesus. Um, uh, they'd heard word that his body was now missing from the tomb, and they're just in this place of, like, what's going on? They're disillusioned. And uh, you'll remember, you remember the story. He, he talked about it. But while, while they're talking about Jesus, Jesus draws near to them and begins to walk with them. And they don't recognize him, right? So he, Jesus starts to walk with him. They don't, they don't know it. And he begins to teach them um, how all of scripture points to him, basically. And after they're walking uh, for a while, this is what hit me. It says that he acted like he was going to go on. He acted like he was, he was, he was going to move on and leave them. And in verse 29 there, it says that the, after he, he gave that impression, like, hey, guys, I'm, I'm moving on, I'm going on, it was great walking with you, great talking with you, they say this, it says this in verse 29, they urged him strongly saying, stay with us, stay with us. They urged him, they said, would you stay with us? Would you stay with us? And, and it says that he went in and he stayed with them. And, and then he's at the table with them. He breaks the bread and it says in verse 31, it says their eyes were opened to who he was and they recognized him and then he vanished. And uh, they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scripture? And, and as I read that, I've just been meditating on this and this is what I just want to say to you. There, there is just, there is something that happens when there is a heart posture that says, Jesus, stay with me. There's something about the heart posture that just says, Jesus, would you stay with us? And when I, when I heard Diego say those words, immediately I just sensed like that was that, was that posture, that, that, that question, that cry was a word for us. And I just sensed that the Lord says, this is what I want to hear from my kids. Would you stay with me? It's like he acted like he was going on to see if they wanted him. Right? Like, you might be thinking, oh, Jesus, he's, he never leaves us, he never forsakes us. Yes, that is true. But there's something that happens in the one who has this heart that says, oh, would you, would you stay with me? Would you stay close to me? There's something that happens. I, I want to commune with you. I want to be close to you. Like, don't go on. Stay with me. Stay with me. I want to receive from you. Because here's the thing. He comes where he's wanted. He comes where he's wanted. He comes where he's wanted. 
The heart that leans in and says, stay with us. Your presence with us is everything. Don't go on. Don't leave. Stay with us. They lean, they, they, I love the language. They urged him strongly. The message says they pressed him. They pressed him. Like, I believe the Lord is looking for those who will boldly hunger for him. Who will boldly hunger for his presence with us. Who will strongly urge him. Might I even say, who will press in. Who will press in on him and say, please, I want to be with you. Don't go. Don't go. Don't go. Stay with me. And I want to tell you, he always responds to the hungry heart. I want to tell you today, tomorrow morning when you get up and you, and, you, and you go and have some quiet with him, the first thoughts, the first moments of the day, and you're with him, and you just you enter into that place of like, oh, I'm not checking this off a list, but I'm entering into that moment with a heart posture of, please don't go. Please stay. I want to hear what you have to say. I want you to open my eyes. It's amazing he stays and what happens? Their eyes are opened. Their hearts begin to burn. This prayer, Jesus, stay with us, stay with me. It draws him, but it actually causes your heart to stay with him. Right? Like he never leaves, we do. He, he never leaves, we do. Right? Do, do you get what I'm saying? Can I just talk to you like this? He never leaves. We do. He, he's a rewarder, though, of those who diligently seek him. And I think seeking him looks like, please, would you just stay a little longer? Would you, would you speak to my heart? I wonder how many times we're on the verge of our eyes being open to something in him that he wants to show us, but we move on. I wonder, I wonder how, many, how many times he wants to ignite our hearts with flame, but we move on. We say, look at that burning one over there, man. I don't, I'm not like that. But you don't know what they did. You don't know how they asked him to stay. You know what I mean? Like, he invites us all. He wants to walk with us all. There's no super spiritual ones. The invitation is to everybody. But he responds to the heart that says, I want you. I want you here. Okay, that was just an appetizer. I had to get that out, okay? I feel that. Does that help you? Think about this. Like, oh, I remember when Diego said that. I was like, please stay on that. And then he didn't. <laughs> he went on to what the Lord told him to say. So we're going to be in John chapter 12 uh, for our time for the most part. And um, it's a beautiful exchange between Mary of Bethany, who we talked about last week, and Jesus. And if you missed last week, Mary... Mary has a sister named Martha. Um, she's got a brother named Lazarus, the one who Jesus raised from the dead. And uh, these three siblings, these three of them, become some of Jesus' closest friends. And uh, Mary wasn't known for her public ministry. You know, she, do, she doesn't show up in the book of Acts. She doesn't show up in the epistles. Um, we find her just a few places in the Gospels. I think she, there's only one recorded line in, in the Bible that she actually speaks. She didn't have a big ministry. She wasn't a Christian celebrity. She wasn't the person with the mic and the lights, okay? And there are many people in Scripture that actually did a lot more than her. She, she's th this woman, though, who went low, 
who bowed down at the feet of Jesus. And each time we find her, we find her at the feet of Jesus. And I actually believe that her life is a word for us in this moment. I believe her life is a word for us in this moment. And so we're going to be in John 12, also going to reference Mark's account of of this um, exchange in Mark 14. You can go back there and check it out later. Um, But here we are six days before Passover. So what we need to understand is that actually, um, as we enter into this story, Jesus is going to be crucified in a matter of days. This is really close to his crucifixion. We're about a year later than where we were last week uh, in that exchange at that house. In that whole moment, we're about a year down the road. And Jesus um, uh, is, is about to be crucified. And he, and he comes to Bethany, where these three siblings are from. And it says here in, in John 12, starting with verse 2, it says, So they, they gave a dinner for him there. It's a, it's a dinner party. Um, it's actually at the home of Simon the leper, a former leper, because uh, Jesus healed him. Martha served, so Martha's still serving, uh, but this time she's not complaining. Uh, this time she's not offended that we know of, um, and this time she's not corrected by Jesus. This is, uh, like I said, about a year later from last, last week. And Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table. So you just kind of get the imagery of this. Um, there's also all the disciples are there. There may be others. But here we got a former leper and we've got a former dead man. I mean, they're sitting there in this moment where the works of Jesus are on display in the people sitting there at the table as they're having this dinner party. And so they're all, they're all gathered. You can imagine, I'm sure it's loud. I mean, they're Jewish. It's, they're excited. Um, and they're, they're, they're partying there. And it says here in verse four that Mary took a pint of expensive ointment made from pure nard. She anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And it says that the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Now, Mark's gospel um, says the oil was very costly and says that she broke the flask and, and in Mark's gospel says poured over his head. So it comes dripping down Jesus. She's taken this, this flask and she has just poured it on him. It's dripping down Jesus. And we find out later that the oil is worth a year's wages. Somewhere around, I don't know, they, I've read lots of different numbers as I looked into this, 30 to 50,000, some people say 32. Um, imagine, how about we just, for, for our sake, how about you imagine what you make in a year? Imagine what you make in a year, what you take home, whatever that number is, imagine all of that in one bottle. The worth of this one bottle, it's, it's, it's a lot of money in one flask, right? It's like she empties her savings She empties her, I don't know, her 401k. She empties her inheritance, which is most likely what this this was from. And she is bowed down low at the feet of Jesus, pouring this oil out. It's like she read Psalm 95.6. It says, oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. Here is Mary literally kneeling before her maker bowing down in worship before him. And she begins to rub it 
in on the feet of Jesus, anointing him with this oil. And then she begins to wipe his feet with her hair. And it's just this moment of great extravagance. It's this moment of intimacy and this moment of costly worship. And and I don't know exactly, but it's like you can imagine this party atmosphere. Everybody's like up here and excited. and, And all of a sudden, Mary, moved by Jesus, empties out her bank account and pours it out in worship on his feet. Verse 4 says that Judas, who was about to betray him, said, Why wasn't this ointment sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He didn't say this because he cared about the poor. He said it because he was a thief. He took care of the money and had been helping himself to the money. Mark 14, 4 says there, there were some disciples who said to themselves indignantly, why was the ointment wasted like that? It says they scolded her. That's what it says there. So you got Judas upset. You've got the disciples. You got others upset saying, why was this ointment wasted? They're scolding her. And Jesus, again, like he did as we saw last week, comes to her defense and he says, Leave her alone. How many are thankful for Jesus coming to your defense saying, leave her her alone? Leave him alone. Verse 6. Leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? This is in Mark Mark 14.6. She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them but you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She's anointed my body beforehand for burial. And get this, he says, and truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Can you imagine this moment? The disciples are all gathered, people all around watching it happen. And all of a sudden, the noise quiets down because everything focuses in on what this young girl is doing at the feet of Jesus. They begin to smell that smell, and they're like, what is happening? And when they realize it, they're upset. When they realize it, they're they're mad because of what they perceive to be a waste. But Mary recognized the value of his presence. She cares more about Jesus than she cares about anything else. She didn't care what they thought. She recognized the beauty and the worth of Jesus, and she says he is worth the cost. A year's wages, she breaks it. She saves no expense. Here's the thing. She wasn't thinking about how much the oil was worth. She was thinking about how much Jesus is worth. (sighs) Because she had a revelation of him. I want to say that again. When you have a revelation of the worth of Jesus and the beauty of Jesus, whatever you offer to him, is it doesn't even compare. 
how you lay down, when you actually have a revelation of who he is, everything and anything in your life, it doesn't compare at all. You'll not be thinking about what you have to give up. You'll be thinking about the worth and the beauty of Jesus. The beauty of Jesus. Her eyes are locked here on the king. And he is worth the cost. You think about this. She, she watched him with her own eyes raise her brother from the dead. This is the man when her brother was dead and she was weeping. This is the man that, that said, come out. Come out of that tomb. And when he told her that he was the resurrection and the life, she believed him. She believed him. She said, I know who he is. And that is why I'm here at his feet because he is worthy of it all. He is worthy of everything that I have. All that I have for all he is. There's something here for us, church, I believe in this moment. May we never offer to Jesus cheap worship. May we refuse this consumeristic worship where we think it's actually about us. Oh, they didn't do the songs I liked. Are you kidding me? I was a worship pastor, so I got some feist in me about this. <laughs> May we refuse this consumeristic worship thing where we think it's about our convenience or it's about our preference or God forbid that it's about what we can get. What we can get. Oh, if we feel it, we will. If we don't, we won't. She's not looking for how little she can get by with. She's not thinking about herself. Her heart of worship goes all in and says, you're worthy of it all. Regardless of what anyone around me thinks, you're worth the cost. David said, I will not offer to the Lord sacrifices that cost me nothing. Worship, I want to tell you, and sacrifice costs us. The gift of his grace is free. We don't earn it. But our lives laid down cost everything. Sometimes we come to church, I think, and, and we think that it's actually about us. What if we didn't come to church thinking it was about us, what we could get? What if we came to church thinking about what we could give? Sometimes we go about life, we think it's about us. But Mary has a revelation of Jesus, and she realized it wasn't about her. It was about him. And her response was costly worship. Her response was to break that bottle. And as she broke that bottle, she had a breakthrough. She realizes who is before her, and he is worth the cost I want to tell you today, a revelation of Jesus. I'm not talking about religion. I'm not talking about, about oh, okay, yeah, that sounds good. I'm going to try and abide by, what, you know, all that they're telling me to do. No, I'm talking about where you are, where you are captivated by him. Where he catches your eye and you actually realize who he is and you can't help but offer your whole life. Where it's not the outside in, it's the inside out transformation because of the revelation that you have of him. It always causes extravagance to come forth. Not how little can I get by, but how far can I go? 
How far can I go? How much can I offer up? It's a response to his worth, to his beauty. Church, I, I would just hate in this city of, there's a lot of, you know what I mean? There's a lot of consumeristic mindset around church and Christianity in our town. I believe he wants to break that off. And when we recognize his beauty and his worth, we'll want to give him everything. And I'm not just talking about it in a Sunday morning. I'm talking, or serving on a team. Those are great. I'm talking about everything. I'm talking about all, all. We know from other passages that Jesus has already told the disciples he's going to die in a matter of days. But it seems like they don't get it. Right? Like they often don't get it. Are you like them sometimes or you don't get it? That's me too. Seems like Mary, though, is the only one who really connects with what he's saying. And they're scolding her, but Jesus is saying, you don't get it. She gets it. She gets it. They didn't realize that the most extreme thing in human history was about to happen, that Jesus was going to go to the cross. They, they just, they couldn't get it. They couldn't grasp it. They don't get it. And even, even though he said over and over that it was going to happen, you know who got it? Mary. She got it. And because of it, Jesus tells the disciples, think about this. When you go and you start proclaiming the gospel to all the world, you're telling them about me. You're telling them about my death and my resurrection and my second coming. And, and they ask, what does a life look like that's been impacted by me? Tell them about her. Tell them this story. Tell of her extravagant worship. Tell them she anointed my body for burial with her life savings and it cost everything. Tell them about this no-name girl who sat at my feet and listened to my words because she is going to have an everlasting memorial because of this one act. I want to tell you, church, the one who sits at the feet of Jesus the one who lives a lifestyle of his presence and extravagant worship, hears what others don't hear. They understand what others don't have because they've been sitting at the feet of Jesus, because they've been listening to his words. Could it be that, that just a year before she made a choice to continue to sit at his feet? To continue to take him at his word and believe that one thing was needed. One thing was necessary. Could it be that she didn't just take his words and his teachings casually like, oh, that was a great sermon, Jesus. Great. And she moves on with her life. But instead, she let his words go into her, burn in her, penetrate her very being to actually cause her to love him with all that she was. And it wasn't just a feeling. It actually cost her. It wasn't just Jesus, I love you, sitting in a prayer room only, which is amazing. It was actually like, no, I'm actually going to give you my life savings, my inheritance. I'm going to pour it out on you in worship. This ordinary girl named Mary who never preached a sermon, never performed a miracle that we're aware of, moved the heart of Jesus and moved the very heart of God and we're still talking about her today. 
Come on. Loving him with all costs you all. I want to say it again. Loving him with all costs you all. If you've heard a different gospel, it is not the true gospel. If you've heard another thing, that this plus this and then add a little Jesus in, that is not the gospel. The gospel is laying everything down. The gospel of following Jesus is I lose it all to gain it all. Listen to what he said here in Matthew. This is the scripture that he, Matthew 16, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. You think about this in the context of Mary. She just lost it all. In their words, she wasted it all right there at his feet. She poured it out, everything she had. And guess what? She found it. She found her life. She found it. Do you see how the kingdom of God works? Jesus says, for what will it profit a man? If he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul, verse 27, for the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in glory of his Father, and then he will, get this, repay each person according to what he has done. That should give us the fear of the Lord, but guess what? When your life has been so wrecked by Jesus, that gives us great joy because our life is already his. And we can look forward to that day knowing, man, my life has been laid down before him. And I look forward to that day. People are afraid of the return of the Lord. We need to pay attention to why are we afraid of the return of the Lord. It should be the most anticipated longing moment that's coming because our hearts get this. And he is so innocent. We want to give him everything and we can't wait for him to come and never leave again. She lays her life down at his feet, and she finds it there. She realized that being with him was to have everything she wanted. I want to suggest to you again that I believe that being with him and a life devoted to him, I'm talking about a life devoted to him in the midst of the activity of your life, in the midst of the assignments, in the midst of raising children, in the midst of marriage, in the midst of work, all of that, in the midst of it, that, that, that finding him and, and, and being at his feet in the midst of all of that is everything that your heart ever longed for or wanted. Mary chose to go low, and what she has done, he says, will not be taken from her. She's sowing into what is eternal and what will remain and what happens in the place of intimacy and worship to Jesus will go into eternity. Mary had a revelation of this and the result is extravagant sacrifice and worship. She shows us this, that the essential of the Christian message is not behaving, it's beholding. Beholding Jesus. Beholding Jesus. If you try and behave before you behold, you'll fail. But when you truly behold, you cannot help become a beautiful offering. Religion tells you otherwise. 
But I believe God is growing up a people here that are so filled with longing and desire for Jesus that we want to please him. That we want to give him all, not because somebody told us we had to, but because our affection, we have caught his eye and we are not the same. Worship isn't just about music, singing, dancing, clapping, whatever. There's no music here. There's no singing. Worship, as we see in Mary, is a laid down response to a revelation of who he is. Worship is an offering of everything you have for everything that he is. And it's a pursuit of an entire life. It's not a moment thing. It's a continual thing. I've had seasons where I'm so in touch with this message, and I've had seasons where I feel like I'm not in touch with this message. Is anybody with me on that? And what I hear is he's calling us into this because this is life, and this is the way, and this is truth. Living sacrifice. It says, as she poured out the oil on him, the fragrance fills the room. Everyone can smell it. Charity, you can come. And as she, she, as she wipes his feet with her hair, the oil gets in her hair. This is strong oil. They imported this from like India. And it's strong. This expensive oil was strong. You know, they didn't take showers as much as we did because they didn't have running water. So they just put a little dab of oil on things. Make it smell better. But that oil gets into her hair. It's strong. You think about this, just a few days. Jesus is going to wash the disciples' feet as an example of servanthood. And here she is before he does that, serving him. But with a spirit of devotion. When you serve the Lord with a spirit of devotion, you won't get burned out. When you walk out there and whatever you sign up for to serve... When you do it out of a spirit of devotion as an offering to the Lord, you won't be burned out. But if you're doing it to fill an identity or to get recognition or to find purpose, it won't last. But when you serve out of a spirit of devotion, it's unto him. It's part of the loving him with all that I am. She's doing a foot washing but in a way that costs her an entire inheritance. And guess what? Jesus is very soon to lay down his life for her and for all of us, and it's gonna cost him all. And when Mary leaves this moment, wherever she goes, guess what? She's gonna smell like the Lord for days. She's going to smell like him. His fragrance is going to go with her. And, and he's going to smell like that oil for days. In fact, many people believe that when the, the soldiers are nailing his feet to the cross, they would have smelled that oil. When the wind's blowing, they would have smelled that, the smell of that expensive oil, that fragrance, that, that costly worship that Mary brought him all the way to the cross. We don't ever hear about her again, but this girl got a hold of the heart of the Lord. 
and her life became a sweet smelling fragrance to him, a memorial to a generation after generation after generation. I believe Mary is a word for us today. I believe Mary's heart is, is part of the heart that God intends for us as devoted followers to carry and to have within us. Church, when we've been with Jesus, when we have offered true worship, there's a fragrance that we carry. And we become a means then where others can experience him. I wanna ask you a question today. What do you smell like? What do you smell like? Do you smell like an offering? What the room said was a waste, Jesus says is beautiful. What are you wasting your life on? What do you call success? What do you say is greatness? Is it what he says? If not, I think our prayer is, God, bring me back into alignment with the first command. Bring me back into alignment with what you say is great and what you say is first and with what you say is success. And may that heart that Mary carried be part of the heart that's in me.